The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. Hi, folks. Welcome back. Uh, we have yet again this week Colin Young, Katie Lynn, and Matt Murphy joining us. Hi, guys. Hey, Sam. Hello. Hi. So there was a big crowd up in room 428 of the State House this week for the kickoff of yet another effort to reform school funding here in Massachusetts. Katie, uh, you were covering that for us. Uh, there have been a lot of efforts to reform education funding since 2015, right, when a report recommended certain modernizations. But uh, this time it seems like everybody wants to tackle it, right? That's right, Sam. And we've certainly seen this uh, momentum grow around it. Um, and this new bill from Senator Sonia Chang-Diaz may look a little familiar if you were following education funding reform efforts last session. It's very similar to the bill the Senate approved, um, implementing those Foundation Budget Review Commission recommendations around special education, health insurance, English language learners, and low-income students. Um, Big difference this year is that it includes uh, a guaranteed minimum aid provision, um, something supporters say will ensure all districts benefit. And it's that language that's gotten uh, Boston Mayor Martin Walsh on board, Yeah, and last year we saw Boston had some concerns that their city, the state's largest school district, wasn't going to benefit under that Senate version of the bill. Now, in addition to Boston Mayor Martin Walsh, who's a former House member, a lot of other municipal officials and and, uh, especially a lot of mayors up here this week pushing for this. That's right. A lot of mayors. We had about two dozen lawmakers, members of both branches. Um, The governor in his inaugural address, um, as we've covered on this podcast, he talked about funding reform, too. And, you know, I talked to Rep. Aaron Vega of Holyoke, uh, whose mayor was also there to support this new push. And he said that, you know, the House has been looking at this, too, and that he believes that there's been a lot of work done um, since July, since the two branches couldn't reach agreement on the two different bills last session. Um, And he said, you know, one of the issues the House wasn't sure about how to do these Uh, English language learners in the low-income piece. They wanted to study it more. Rep. Vega thinks some of that information might now be available, part of these discussions that have been going on. Um, He wasn't part of these conversations, he stressed to me, but he really believed some progress had been made, and that seemed to be echoed um, by a statement Speaker DeLeo put out saying that he'd uh, brought in some of the Foundation Budget Review Commission members in August. Um, We've since learned that he's had talks with former Education Commissioner Paul Revel. Right. who served on that commission, um, and that he's also talked with um, the teachers' unions in the state, the superintendents and the school committee groups. So there seems to be kind of a, a push on all sides. Now, for House members like Vega, what are some of the um, remaining big concerns here? Well, one thing I'm sure is there's, you know, 160 House members. There's probably 160 different set of concerns. But one of uh, Rep. Vega's concerns that he said would that there would be some kind of ties or stipulations attached to the new money, creating a situation where districts are asked to uh, do more while they're already struggling. Um, and, you know, maybe that might come to bear. We've heard a few people wanting conditions brought in. Um, the governor in his address even mentioned that progress isn't just about money. Uh, Education Secretary Jim Pizer in November said that it's funding and non-funding related issues and that money, how much money is spent isn't as important as how it's spent. Cool. Well, we'll see what other reforms get proposed over the course of this session. And the uh, bill filing deadline, right, is this coming Friday, the 18th. That's right, a week from today. So I'm sure we'll have a 
Lots to talk about then. Right. Well, from a big education bill to a big environmental bill, another topic of conversation, uh, Matt Murphy, Senator Pacheco, is uh, planning to file a pretty big environmental bill next week before the deadline. Tell us about that. Yeah, Sam, once again, we're back in the Senate looking at another comprehensive omnibus-type bill, and uh, Senator Pacheco filed something like this last session, and and he said uh, this past week that uh, next week before the bill filing deadline, he's going to put forward another uh, big uh, global warming bill uh, that won't be exactly like the one that the Senate passed last session. Uh, The Senator Pacheco and the Senate's uh, and the House's Global Warming Committee had a hearing in December where they invited scientists in to uh, talk to them about the new national climate assessments that offered some fairly dire predictions about uh, where uh, the the world's climate was headed and what was needed to stave off the most uh, serious consequences. And uh, what the senators and House members heard then was that the, the requirements under the Global Warming Solutions Act, that 2008 law that required carbon emission reductions in Massachusetts, was not moving fast enough. And I think we're expecting this bill from uh, Senator Pacheco to focus on a, a new requirement of net zero carbon emissions by 2050 and uh, probably some ideas of how to get there uh, by reducing emissions in both the transportation and residential and commercial building sectors and other areas. So this could be a fairly big bill. And how's that likely to square with the House? And we don't know who the new House chairman of global warming will be at this point, do we? We don't. And, you know, uh, you you bring it up. Frank Smyzik of Brookline obviously retired uh, this past session. But uh, Ruth Balzer of Newton stepping forward with Senator Pacheco, they released Uh, what they called a New Year's resolution that they circulated uh, over the course of the past week to members. And this really is uh, committing uh, 81 signatories to uh, this really ambitious climate agenda that includes the net zero by 2050, as well as uh, eliminating the net metering cap on uh, solar energy, increasing uh, the amount of energy that uh, power generators need to procure through uh, clean energy sources, uh, and also almost doubling the offshore wind allotment for Massachusetts. Currently, there's up to 3,200 megawatts authorized by the legislature for offshore wind. Senator Pacheco and this this resolution from Senator Pacheco and Representative Balls are calling for as much as 6,000 megawatts of offshore wind uh, procurements to be authorized. So like you said, we'll have to watch and see what happens in the House uh, where they have uh, been a a little less willing to take these kind of gigantic steps forward on climate change. Sure. Uh, And almost the entire Senate has signed on to that resolution, right? Yeah, 36 senators, 45 House members uh, signed this resolution. Uh, The four senators who did not sign, uh, Senate President Karen Spilka, Senator Mike Barrett, who last uh, year chaired the uh, Energy Committee. He said he he hopes to chair that again and didn't want to prejudge any legislation that might come before him. And then you had Senator Keenan, who has not been in the country or even sworn in yet. Oh, right. He'll be sworn in on Wednesday. Yeah, that's right. And Senator Sonia Chang-Diaz. So the Senate president uh, didn't sign on to this, at least not yet, but we did hear from her on this topic this week, right, Uh, at a speech up here on Beacon Hill. 
Yeah, and it's not completely surprising that the Senate president wouldn't sign on to uh, committing herself to a policy agenda at this point since she has to balance a lot of competing priorities and probably wants to keep her options open for negotiations. But she did drop by a big environmental advocacy breakfast down the down the street of Cary Nation this week, sponsored by the Environmental League of Massachusetts and other groups. And she gave a few uh, remarks, and she's clearly interested in doing something with climate change and global warming this session. Uh, she even went so far as to mention that uh, you know, housing and education and transportation and all these other things that people are talking about are important. Uh, but if we don't get climate change right, none of those things are going to matter because everything's going to be underwater. So sort of a dire <laughs> prediction from the from the Senate president, but, uh, but one that uh, perhaps could be true. Sure. All right. Thanks, Matt. Now, Colin, as we approach the one-year anniversary, believe it or not, of the revelations and then investigation into Steve Wynn's uh, alleged misconduct, um, Wynn Casino's magnate Steve Wynn, uh, we're learning a bit more about uh, what information he's trying to keep out of the Massachusetts Gaming Commission's final report. Yeah, that's right, Sam. Uh, we learned this week that at least some of the information uh, Steve Wynn is suing to keep out of the Gaming Commission's investigative report uh, comes from 2014 court proceedings that involved Steve Wynn uh, and also involve uh, interviews that lawyers in Nevada gave to the Gaming Commission's top investigator um, potentially in in involving issues, uh, legal matters involving Steve Wynn. Um, we also learned this week, Sam, a, a bit more about the timeline uh, that led to this lawsuit that Steve Wynn filed back in November. Uh, when Steve Wynn heard that uh, Wynn Resorts had provided uh, certain documents and information to the Gaming Commission, he asserted that uh, those documents, that information, really should have been uh, kept confidential under a common defense or common interest agreement uh, because he, of course, had founded and started the company and... Uh, uh, he and the company's uh, uh, legal issues were sometimes intertwined there. Uh, so we know now that the uh, Gaming Commission allowed Steve Wynn's attorney to review these documents and that the very next day, uh, Steve Wynn's attorney claimed that all of the documents, not just uh, portions of them or some of the documents, but all of the documents should have been kept private uh, under attorney-client privilege, uh, made that assertion to the Gaming Commission, and then about a week, week and a half later, uh, ultimately filed this lawsuit, which has had the effect of blocking uh, the Gaming Commission from releasing uh, its report if it includes any information uh, that's at issue here. Just a bit more on those interviews uh, that we found out this week are, are uh, at play here. The uh, attorney for the Gaming Commission, Dave Mackey from Anderson Krieger, uh, said that these interviews... Uh, involved uh, lawyers who were familiar with the issues at stake, is how he put it, uh, and said that they were among the most well-respected members of the Nevada Bar. Wynn is claiming that the Gaming Commission's investigator uh, flagrantly violated his uh, common defense rights uh, by asking these lawyers about uh, uh, previous litigation. So the Gaming Commission's lawyers say that that allegation from Steve Wynn isn't, uh, uh, doesn't hold up and that these lawyers who submitted to these interviews uh, knew what they were doing and uh, uh, had their own attorneys present and uh, uh, were told that if they weren't comfortable answering the questions, they didn't have to. Mm. 
So what action is the Massachusetts Gaming Commission going to take next, or what have they been doing? Yeah, so this uh, lawsuit is going to uh, continue to play out in court in Nevada. The Gaming Commission, which right now is down to just four members, uh, because remember Chairman Steve Crosby resigned early in the fall, right. and Governor Charlie Baker has still not yet appointed a fifth member to the Gaming Commission. Uh, the commissioners are going to have to first decide what to do uh, while the Nevada judge has a hold on uh, these documents uh, that Steve Wynn has claimed privilege over. Um uh, they could decide to release their investigative report simply by removing all of this information. Any information that uh, could be under this lawsuit could be removed from the report, and they could uh, go forward simply without that information, uh, or they can wait it out. And um, the uh, injunction that's blocking their release is, is um, a temporary one. So once the lawsuit is revo- resolved, there'll be more clarity around what they actually could release. So if they stick to their guns on this and, and keep these documents in, uh, how long might it be before we see a report? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. Um, the commissioners, the four commissioners, have not seen the investigative report. Uh, uh, Gaming Commissioner, uh, Gaming Commission Executive Director Ed Bedrosian on Thursday would not say how many people at the commission have seen the report, uh, though he would say the commissioners have not. Um, he, he was asked, do you think uh, this lawsuit will be wrapped up before about mid-June, which is when uh, Wynn Resorts is planning to open the Encore Boston Harbor Casino in Everett, uh, and his response was to say, boy, I hope so. Oh, my word. Uh, but he <laughs> would not answer uh, when asked if the Gaming Commission would allow that uh, roughly $2.6 billion resort casino uh, to open if the Gaming Commission's suitability review isn't resolved at that point. Really? So that remains an open question That's heading an open toward question. June. How many days away are we, Colin? Uh, the uh, Wynn Resorts folks say that the opening is 163 days away from uh, today on Friday. Wow. And uh, it's looking pretty complete from the highway, right? Yeah, they say 90% complete. Uh, most of the remaining work is on the uh, interior. So, yeah, the, exactly. The building, um, uh, the exterior is largely complete. Cool. Thanks, Colin. Thanks a lot. Also in the headlines this week, pot regulators will be asking the legislature for more oversight of agreements between municipalities and marijuana businesses. The governor signed a number of bills that were on his desk from the end of the last session, including a Consumer Protection from Data Breaches Act, also known as the Equifax bill, uh, a bill criminalizing counterfeit airbags, and a financial literacy bill. This weekend, Elizabeth Warren is heading up to New Hampshire, and looking ahead to next week, we'll see the three final legislators to be sworn in take their oaths, Senator Keenan and Reps Provo and O'Connell. And uh, we've mentioned several times on this podcast, Friday, the bill filing deadline, also the deadline for filing proposals to come before the Constitutional Convention during this coming session. All right. Thanks, folks. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Sam. See you next week. Go Pats. Go Pats. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.